Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS On Air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. Carol's a past chair of the National Council on Aging, still serves on their board, executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, graduate of Trinity University and the University of the Incarnate Word, where she got her master's in gerontology. Good to see you. Thank you very much. Good to be here. We've got an interesting guest coming up in just a couple of moments, Jennifer Fitzpatrick, who talks about not only cruising through caregiving, the title of her book, but about the 20 to 30 years experience she has had in the field. That's right. So she's going to, and she's going to tell us about life in Philadelphia as well. And this, yes, a, yes. a little, a little hooker coming a at little, the end. Yeah, listen yeah. for it. I like that. What do you got coming up with caregiver teleconnection? I guess we ought to tell folks who don't know what that is. Well, the caregiver teleconnection is a free program for caregivers anywhere in the country. If you have a phone, you're ready. Um, it's a they are one hour teleconferences where we connect you, the caregiver, with an expert of some sort. It might be a lawyer, a physician, a social worker, a behavior specialist, um, and you get a chance to listen, ask questions, and also talk with other caregivers. So it's easy. And on May 22nd, we have uh, one of our former keynote speakers from our Caregiver Summit, uh, Dr. Barry Jacobs, is going to be talking about Don't Fear Failure. You know, we often hear about the, you know, the perfect caregiver and, and people wanting to feel like they, you know, they feel like they need to be perfect. And so Barry's going to, uh, you know, dispel the myth of the perfect caregiver and the, and the fear of failure we all have. One of the things they teach our kids in kindergarten, failure leads to success. That's right, and and there's a lot of discussion about should we let people fail, um, and we're probably not even failing. That's such a strong word. I mean, it's really, you know, I, I used to, my husband used to tell me that I, I probably wasn't screwing up my sons the rest of his life with the one thing that I did not do perfectly <laughs> as a parent. Uh, and so there's probably some room in there, uh, but if you want to learn more about the Caregiver Teleconnection, our telephone program, you can go to caregiversos.org, uh, pull down the calendar check out all of our speakers uh, in spanish and english we've got both types of sessions it's a heck of a resource you have hundreds of those phone conversations well, now. we do in there t- and we record them they're and archived. we have a, they're archived and we have a brand new website check it out because now there's a wonderful library where you can look things up by the topic it used to be you had to kind of know the date Right. Everything was archived by date, which really didn't mean anything. Didn't help anybody. Didn't help anybody. So now, if you're interested in dementia, if you're interested in chronic illness, if you're interested in resources, you, you can search by topic. That's cool. So, very nice. WellMedGives.org. Well, the WellMed, well, just go to CaregiverSOS.org. That'll, that'll work. Make, that'll okay. make it really easy. And if you think about the kind of things we talk about here on Caregiver SOS on air, with dementia, things may never improve But patients can still learn. Is that correct? Well, it is correct. And this is our friend Paula Spann from the New York Times. And this is something that I had heard of, but it has been a long time. And I was so glad uh, to see that this was back in the news. Cognitive rehabilitation. So this is exactly 
what my mother would have liked and what we are planning to do with families who are um, who are uh, folks who are living with dementia, uh, particularly those who are living alone with dementia. It's so hard to understand. There are folks living alone. There are folks with dementia. And and so what cognitive rehabilitation is, it's you know, we're not trying to give them medications that are going to save them from Alzheimer's. This is not those kinds of medications. What it is is working with an occupational therapist on the tasks that you need to do if you have living with dementia that will allow you to keep functioning, which when you think about it, it's perfect. Uh, The example she gives is of a man who was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and the minute he got the diagnosis, he was afraid to go anywhere. He was afraid to leave home. For fear he wouldn't get back. He he didn't remember how to use his phone. He was afraid he couldn't call his wife. He was afraid he was going to get lost, and that was going to be the end of him. And so in working with um, a, a therapist, he was able to be trained and, and write down the steps of using the phone, practice using the phone, and then go out and actually doing it. And the interesting thing is that um, with this kind of repetitive training on specific tasks, like maybe it's heating a frozen meal. What if you got it meals on wheels and it's a frozen meal? How do you heat that up? And how do you heat that up you have without to burning to use it? Use a microwave. You've got to know oven. how, to, and that's a lot of steps. So just simple tasks like that that someone with dementia might not be able to do, but they found through cognitive rehabilitation that they can hang on to that for six months. A year, maybe even longer. So did we cure their Alzheimer's? No. Did we stop them from getting worse? No. But did we maintain their functioning? And if you're a caregiver or you're a family member, you're worried about someone who might be living alone with Alzheimer's, you know, that's that's fantastic. That's gold when you can hang on to some of those independent living skills uh, that we take for granted. And so what there, Paula was saying in her article is a lot of people don't know how effective this type of training is. Uh, and it's something that, you know, we should probably talk about more when we talk about living with Alzheimer's. We could get an occupational therapist on the air with us. We absolutely could um, and talk about what those skills, you know, occupational therapists are wonderful and they're kind of on the side of the right. healthcare system and they're just so critical to maintaining and getting life back you know that functioning back when you've been in the hospital or had an illness. I know when we finally moved my mother into an independent assisted living facility it was in part because she was having trouble with the oven leaving it on a gas oven yes and not remembering to turn it off she didn't really have Dementia, but had some cognitive issues. Right, and, and we've worked with families where we've had to cut the gas into the kitchen, um, you know, so that we can't use the stove, take the buttons off the stove so you can't right. turn them on right. um, because it can be really dangerous. You handed me a slip of paper, which is the exact question my wife had yesterday. There you go. Should an adult get a measles booster shot? Well, I think there is a lot of us that have measles, been having this conversation. It's exploding everywhere. Yeah, the most cases, you know, since they declared that we didn't have measles anymore. And so the question is, should you get a booster shot? This is also from the New York Times. Uh, and with an outbreak in 22 states, what they are saying is, if you had a if you had a measles vaccine or had the disease and you were born before 1957 
you're golden. That would be me. <laughs> um, because that vaccine or having the measles. I had the measles. You know, you, you're not going to get it again. Very, it would be extremely rare. There was a funny thing they did with testing two vaccines in the 60s, around 1967-68, where one of the vaccines used live virus and one used really weak um, yeah, I'm sorry, weak live viruses versus the dead virus. And so um, I'm trying to look here on the piece of one paper. One was better than the other. One was better than the other. Um, it, one didn't last as, as long as the other. But, again, as a child of the 60s myself, I can tell you that most of us still got the measles anyway. It wasn't the shot. You know, I remember having the three-day measles, which oh. is still the measles. Right. Um, and apparently if you have the measles, you have the antibodies forever. Um, if you're, it's only, you know, if you are, if you have any doubts, if you're born later than 1968, when they stopped playing with the vaccine, right. you're also very good if you got a vaccination. And we know that people have the vaccinations because the people that are getting measles now are children and people in religious groups or, you know, uh, special groups that We're have opted vaccinated. out, who right. have opted out of being vaccinated. And it hasn't spread worse than that. It would be much, much worse if if the rest of us hadn't had immunizations or had the measles. So, you know, you're, you're probably in good shape. If you have any doubt, it's inexpensive to go down, get a blood test, see if they can check your antibodies, see if you got those measles antibodies. But if you're born before 57, you're good. If you're born in the 70s and later and you've had the vaccine, you're good it's just you know those that of us in the, that little window in the 60s where they were playing with the vaccines my wife falls into that window yes well there as yeah. do you yes yes um, and it was the it was the vaccine that was delivered in three doses huh. um that with the you know it had been killed it was the dead virus as opposed to the weak live virus that didn't work as well. Okay. So if you got three doses. But no one will know. No one will know. And Who's going to remember? Test, just go get your antibodies tested so you can find out. You don't want to get the measles as an adult. It would be better to go find out. Now, a PCP friend told me, hey, look, just get the shot, MMR. You don't have yeah, to worry. Make, and, and they may just tell you I, right. it's cheaper to get the shot than, than, it, do is, the than blood it is test. to test you probably. for that. So that, that's probably true, too. Um, Got time for one more. Time for one more. Okay, so this doesn't have necessarily to do with caregiving, but it has to do a lot with living. Um, living, living is to good. Be old, and living to be older. You know, we hear so much about uh, parts of the world where people live to be in their hundreds routinely, systematically, and they're always somewhere else. Right. So I was very surprised in Next Avenue to see Richard Eisenberg do a piece on the oldest people in America – our blue zone where people consistently live to be in their 90s and up to 100, Loma Linda, California. Why? Well, that's the interesting part. There is a huge enclave of Seventh-day Adventists. It's a community from this particular religious group where a lot of them are vegan. They don't smoke. They don't drink alcohol. Um, and they tend to think of, you know, taking care of themselves. Their bodies are temple. Their bodies are temple. And, and also because they live so long, they plan on living long, which is the point of the article. So they're like, well, I'm going to live to be old, so I better, you know, save money. So they don't run out of money. I'd better take care of myself so I don't have disability in my old age. So I love that sort of pre-programming. That's very different than, you know, in um, Italy where they have a Mediterranean diet. Here are people that are just taking care of themselves and planning to be old. 
which I thought was kind of interesting. It is. And they're being doing it very successfully. You know, not, they're not taking medications. They're in good shape. You know, they're walking a mile or two every day. So maybe there is something to be said for healthy living. So the next pop diet is the Seventh Day Adventist. So yeah, diet. I guess yeah, is the Seventh Day Adventist. I don't know if they have a cookbook for that. I don't know. What do I, they eat? I don't know. Well, it you know they don't vegans. Eat, yeah, they they have like you know it's vegan and and they eat nuts for their proteins. Huh. Uh, you know apparently, um, and this is unusual because usually a lot of those groups are. are probably poor and this is a little bit more affluent if you can afford a house in california you know you've got a nice nice nest egg there anyway Um, i can't tell you how many fall away vegans i have met yes yes i used to be a vegan it is and i'm not even going to quote the article of what (laughs) i read this week as a meat substitute yes We'll come back to this another day. (laughs) We will. And for those of you who are wondering, we'll be talking with Jennifer Fitzpatrick in just a couple of moments, cruising through caregiving. I'm Ron Aaron with Carol Zerniel. This is Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner, What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. We're always happy to deliver on a promise, and in this case, the promise was we would be talking with Jennifer Fitzpatrick on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. Jennifer is the author of Cruising Through Caregiving, Reducing the Stress of Caring for Your Loved One, which clearly can be stressful. Jennifer is a gerontology instructor at Johns Hopkins University's Certificate on Aging program, the founder of Generations Health Education, Inc., a full-service healthcare education organization with 20-plus years of experience in healthcare. And you spell generations, Jennifer, with a J. With a J, yeah. I thought that was so cute. I saw that. I was like, she is so clever. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. It's funny because now when I see generations spelled properly with a G, I always think it looks wrong. Of course. Well, we just (laughs) need to change it in the dictionary, right? That's right. Well, how did you get started in this field of 20-plus years in healthcare and caregiving? Well, I actually first had wonderful grandparents, and so I always liked older adults and always enjoyed them. I, and I actually, believe it or not, I had young grandparents. My grandparents were in their 40s when I was born, so uh, we sort of grew up together, and they uh, definitely were big parts of my life. Uh, not just grandparents, but they were some of my best friends. 
And I think that that led to when I had an opportunity to work in a nursing home when I was in high school, it didn't intimidate me. I know a lot of people who, when they're young, they think of going into a a healthcare facility where, you know, older adults are being served and maybe not so healthy. That didn't really make me uncomfortable. I think probably because I was always around older adults and I thought, you know, they're they're just great people. Well, you've got an MSW... uh LCSW, Licensed Clinical Social Worker and Therapist, and in your work today, uh, providing education and teaching for a whole lot of folks who are both in the professional world, I'm assuming, but also caregivers, what what do you try to teach them? What is it about caregiving uh, that you try to share with your audiences? There's not one way to be a good caregiver. A lot of people have tunnel vision about taking care of a mom or a spouse or whoever in their life needs help and they think well I have to keep that person at home or you know I maybe it's only can be family that are involved there's many many ways that you can be involved in caregiving and there's many ways to be a good caregiver well and and what do what do people think may, I mean, you, you, you describe some of the, the holes that people fall in, but if you were describing not, maybe not a good caregiver, but what does the, you know, a caregiver who's giving their best, what does that look like that might surprise people that are new to caregiving? Yeah. So for example, some people are not natural caregivers. So I'll tell you, I'm not particularly mechanically inclined. And if something is wrong with my car or my computer and somebody says to me, fix it, I can't even explain to you how stressed out I would be, but I can make a call to get someone to look at it and get someone to fix it or uh, handle the situation. And so sometimes being a good caregiver, it doesn't mean that you are doing all of the caregiving yourself. It means that in cruising through caregiving, I talk about the concept of being a captain of the caregiving ship. So maybe if your husband or your mom needs help in the bathroom, maybe it's not going to always be you that does that. Maybe you're going to be the person that arranges that care. You're going to arrange that help. Or maybe you live far away from the person that's sick. Maybe you're sending some money toward paying for a home care aid to help the people that are on the ground in the city where that loved one lives. So... I think it doesn't have to be, a lot of people think it's 24 hours, person lives with you, but there's a lot of ways to contribute to caregiving. Well, I think you make a great point. Um, We mentioned a Harvard uh, School of Medicine MD we had on the show early on, a professor um, who had been doing everything himself, absolutely everything. And And it took one of his students telling him, you know, sir, you don't have to do everything. You can hire some help. And it had just never occurred to him. All of a sudden the light went on and he said, you know, you're right. Right. And it, it's not even it's just hiring help, but also being open to offers of help from friends and family, neighbors, people from church or temple or synagogue. Uh, I think a lot of times people will say, well, can I help? What can I do? And a lot of times if you're caregiving, the first time someone asks, you say, oh, everything's fine. I think we have to be open to people allowing, open to allowing others in. 
We'll talk more about that in a minute, but for those who've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, and we're talking with Jennifer Fitzpatrick, author of Cruising Through Caregiving, Reducing the Stress of Caring for Your Loved One. She is also the founder of Generations Health Education, Inc., and with over 20 years' experience in healthcare, providing education, support, and help for others who are entering the caregiving field. Well, you talk about in the title of the book, Cruising Through Caregiving, Reducing the Stress of Caring for a Loved One. So how do you do it? How do you reduce stress? Well, for the first thing is look at caregiving probably as a project that's going to last a while. I think a lot of people start looking, you know, listen, if your loved one broke a hip or they had a surgery and, you know, there's going to be four weeks or six weeks recovery time expected, that's one thing you can plan. But more often, if you're dealing with a chronic condition uh, or something like this long-term, like Alzheimer's disease, you got to take the long view and you got to think really hard about the choices that you're making So for one, one way to reduce stress is um, think really hard. If if you work and you have a job, are you going to quit? And for a lot of people, the answer is you probably shouldn't quit your job in order to caregive full time. Now, for some people, it makes sense. But if you're in the middle of your career or if you're, you're trying to play catch up with your 401k, it might not be the best thing. Maybe you take some Family Medical Leave Act where you take some days and you know you don't you don't quit or go part time you you think think it through like make make a long plan uh if you are your loved one is ill and you're trying to figure out you know what makes sense don't hastily move your loved one into your home or don't hastily move in with them I think one of a lot of it is prevention, and I call it going overboard. Like the, the theme is cruising through caregiving, but I call when we make hasty decisions like that, that's going overboard. And we, we can always course correct. So say you moved in with your mom and it's really not working out. It's putting a strain on your marriage. It, you know, you feel like you it's better for you to move back to your home and maybe go back to work. There's, you should go consider how to do that. You know, make a plan. Figure out who who else can step in and help be part of the caregiving solution. Well, I think that, you know, the statistic that always startles me is when someone quits their job for caregiving, it's $325,000 in lost wages and retirement benefits, which really is a staggering sum of money that most people don't realize that's what they're giving up. And they never get it back. And there's a spinoff effect. Because your kids now are going to be in the position that maybe they need to take care of you because you don't have enough money. Or, you know, it's it's just, it, listen, there's some people that it makes sense. You know, you say, I'm going to take six months leave of absence. Or, you know, maybe I really do, um, I really have plenty of money and I can afford it and this is what I want to do. I'm not saying that somebody shouldn't quit their job, but I'm saying you want to really do the math. Right, an informed decision. Right. Right, instead of that knee jerk. Because it decimates your Social Security recovery as well. Absolutely. That, right. So, uh, you know, I like that. I like the idea of, of taking a long view. What else would you recommend for reducing stress? Well, get, get some services. Get some. Educate yourself as much as possible about your loved one's condition. So if they have congestive heart failure, if they have diabetes, if they have dementia. And I would like to take this opportunity to let you know about 
uh, a project that my company is working on with Hilarity for Charity, with, which is the actor Seth Rogen's nonprofit. Um, starting May 15th, uh, we have a free, completely free, uh, 15-week uh, virtual book club for dementia caregivers. It starts May 15th. It's every Wednesday for 15 weeks, 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Central. And if you can't make it, we send you the recording, and you just go to cruisingthroughcaregiving.com, and it's co-sponsored by Hilarity for Charity and Oasis Senior Advisors. It's completely free. And we're having experts from AARP, from uh, uh, Argentum, from the National Hospice Foundation, uh, we're having lots and lots of experts come and talk about how to reduce your stress and learn about the disease. That's fantastic. So we'll um, have to post that on our Caregiver SOS on air website. Well, it's interesting because uh, WellMed Charitable Foundation sponsors a WellMed teleconnection program, just like you're describing, uh, which offers a variety of experts available at no cost using the lowest form of technology, the telephone. Uh, and it's, in effect, a uh, one-hour opportunity to get the best advice possible on any subject you can think of. So to hear your discussion of uh, this for, uh, you know, caregivers for patients with Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia, that's really great. Yeah, and it's it's completely free. You don't need to have read the book. Um, but if you want to, if you want a budget and you want to read the book, most libraries do have cruising through caregiving in stock. That's great. That's a that's a great resource. Um, so we were we were talking. You, you we were talking about some. Oh, we're going to have to go to break. Ron's over here waving at me. Okay. So I was only giving her a one finger. A one. A one update. Uh, yeah, it was a gentle <laughs> okay. one finger. Yeah. Right. So we're we're talking about um, the stress reduction and certainly participating in a virtual book club or something where you're getting information and education and empowering yourself um, is going to go a long way to doing that. And we'll come back to more of this. We appreciate you being with us. Jennifer Fitzpatrick, I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernio. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer. Hey, we're delighted you're with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. Jennifer Fitzpatrick is with us on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline. She's a master's in social work and a licensed clinical social worker as well, uh, founder of Generations Health Education, Inc., and we're talking about caregiving, her book, Cruising Through Caregiving, Reducing the Stress of Caring for Your Loved One. And Jennifer, for those who may have just joined us, uh, remind us about this book club that you're offering over several weeks for those who are caring for patients with Alzheimer's and or dementia. Sure. So it's a 15-week virtual book club. It starts May 15th, goes for 15 weeks through August 28th. It's Wednesdays, 4 p.m. Eastern, uh, 3 p.m. Central. And it's go to cruisingthroughcaregiving.com. And you can register. If you can't make all the sessions, we send you the the recordings and uh, yeah it's it, we're having ex- all sorts of experts from AARP the Alzheimer's Association we're having all sorts of groups come in to talk about how to understand and be uh, somebody who has 
who is taking care of someone with dementia but reducing their stress. Um, but going back to your question a little bit ago, again, that's cruisingthroughcaregiving.com. Uh, I was talking about learning about your loved one's condition. So every, pretty much every condition that your loved one could possibly have, there is a nonprofit that corresponds with it. So say your loved one has a certain type of cancer, information from the American Cancer Society, uh, cancer.org, or if your loved one has heart disease, go to heart.org, which is the American Heart Association, whatever is, or if it's a mental health condition, for example, if they have uh, an anxiety disorder, you know, go to azaa.org, which is the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, just learn about the condition. And the other big thing that I think that can help caregivers reduce stress is uh, I have a chapter in Cruising Through Caregiving that's called The Doctor Doesn't Know Everything. And this is not a knock on the doctor. This is this means that the doctor is there to diagnose, the doctor is there to prescribe, the doctor is there to support you, but the doctor does, has limited time with you. And so you need to get involved with community resources, support groups. You need to read books or, or take, like, you know, the virtual... Dementia Book Club that I talked about, go to that. Uh, learn for yourself and even consider caregiver support groups. If you go to your local area agency on aging, every county, city, or cluster of counties in the United States has one. Um, they will give you a listing of caregiver support groups in your area. And if you want to find yours, uh, it's n4a.org, n as in Nancy, number 4a as in apple.org, and you just plug in your zip code and uh, that will generate. Which is a great resource. Um, so thank you for reminding us of the Area Agencies on Aging have the National Family Caregivers Support Program, and they have resources in local communities for family caregivers. But you just don't want to, don't pin all of your expectations on the doc. Believe me, most docs, they want to help you as best as they can, but they just are, they're time crunched. And we, you just, you have to say like, look, here, doc, I've done this research. I've read this book. What are your thoughts on it? But know that, you know, they might not always know about the public and, and private resources that are out there that could assist you. Now, when you talk to, as you indicate in your bio, uh, national organizations, you serve as a keynote speaker at conferences. What are the kinds of things you try to bring to these groups? Actually, I'm actually uh, speaking at the Healthcare Conference in Houston, not too far from you all next week, and uh, talking actually about physician and healthcare prevent- professional burnout. And one of the things that that we are encouraging during that keynote next or that that breakout session next week is how to how a physician and a healthcare provider can embrace a caregiver inclusive culture in their organization. How do they better empower caregivers, which helps to reduce errors, but it also helps to reduce burnout uh, for the the healthcare provider as well as it ultimately gets better care to the patient. How does it help reduce burnout when you bring a caregiver in? No, no, when you bring caregiver inclusive culture. So most state, so what I'm saying is it reduces, if a, if a physician or a hospital, a, say a physician practice or a hospital or a nursing home, the more that your organization is caregiver inclusive, and what I mean by that is you're keeping the family caregiver in the loop. You are providing them with as many resources as possible. Uh, you're communicating with them. You're telling them how to, you know, if you're sending somebody home and asking them to do medical tasks for their loved one, you're giving them 
uh, you're empowering them. You're giving them literature. You're showing them, you know, where to find the information. Maybe it's a YouTube video. The more inclusive you are of the caregiver, like, for example, the data suggests that if you have a caregiver when you're in the hospital, family members visiting you or staying with you, there's less of a chance of errors because there's another pair of eyes and ears in the room when things are happening. Well, and, I, I you know, uh, uh, sometimes people see that caregiver pointing out things as a threat. I, you know, every once in a while, you're the caregiver that asks too many questions. You know, how would you respond to a healthcare provider who is tired of your questions? Well, I would be just be polite and be respectful you know just just say look i i'm sure you're already going to do this i'm sure you're aware of this but i just wanted to check i you know i love my mother so much i want to make sure she's all right um take notes you know but but really ultimately the the healthcare professional doesn't want to make mistakes either that's one of the big reasons that care that healthcare professionals and docs have so many high rates of burnout and, you know, for, as a matter of fact, um, docs, you know, doc physicians die by suicide. One doctor per day in the United States dies by suicide every day. So how do you, how do you know that? That's the latest data. Wow, that's shocking. Yeah. It takes such a long Actually, time to grow a doc. Actually, we're talking about that yeah, at the Healthcare Farms Conference next week. Yeah, we don't, we don't have, we certainly don't have enough of them. Well, you know, I think that, you, you know, you bring up a, a really good point in that, you know, this is, um, there's a whole village, right, in, in this whole caregiving initiative and this idea that the family caregiver is a partner in the healthcare team, um, and, but, the doc, but the, also the healthcare team is, is working with you. Um, and can help, you know, you do your job better, uh, and both of you kind of have some lanes there. Well, right. You want to demonstrate that you as the caregiver are the partner, but you also want to say, look, tell me, Doc, tell me when it's appropriate to get with you or your staff, or tell me when it's appropriate to go elsewhere, because, you know, what what I think is we just want to be respectful of the healthcare provider's time, and I think that's that's you know build a relationship, build a rapport with with the doctor's office, and you know it, like for one example, like if you don't really need to talk to the doc or the nurse practitioner, and maybe you can get it from one of the medical assistants, some of the information you're requesting. But then there's going to be times where you have to absolutely insist that you talk to the degreed professional. So I'm not saying settle for somebody on the staff when you really really need to talk to the expert. But be reasonable. If it's if you're just looking for some information, like a phone number or some information that you could get, you know, from a staff person, don't insist on taking up the doctor's time. Well, is that you know? I was looking at your bio, and you're talking about uh, working with healthcare professionals, and and for, especially for those who want to set better boundaries. What do you mean by that? The boundaries between the healthcare professional and maybe the caregiver. Well, I think it. it I think it's really about. The, I think that that's more of the, the healthcare provider. I talk to I talk to a lot of times healthcare providers about setting boundaries, like the reverse of what I just talked about, like teaching and and you know making sure that the the family and the patient know that you're there for them, that you are their advocate, that you want to help them, but also being able when it's not essential that they speak to you or when you are not the expert. So, for example. Uh, I know a lot of times patients and their families will call the doctor, oh, there's a side effect with the meds, what do you think? Now, you certainly can do that, but I think a lot of times the doctor is going to say, hey, you know what, maybe talk to the pharmacist. Um, utilize your pharmacist. 
um, I'm not saying that there's not a time to ask those questions of your physician, but a lot of times I know that, that the pharmacist, you know, especially like they're an untapped resource. You go into your pharmacy to pick up a med and you have a question. I mean, they'll, they'll give you, if they're, if they're not too busy, they'll give you the time. And if you want to wait, if they are busy, they're going to answer the questions and they know a lot more about drugs a lot of times than the physician does. Or if it's a question about physical therapy or, you know, just ask the, try to, you know, ask the right question of the right provider. If you just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. We're talking with Jennifer Fitzpatrick, Cruising Through Caregiving, Reducing the Stress of Caring for Your Loved One is her book. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. And one of the things, Jennifer, I want to come back to, and this is obviously a sidebar. You say you grew up in Philadelphia and your secret talent is parallel parking. It is. Now, I would challenge anybody to parallel parking. I would lose so fast. It wouldn't even be a contest. <laughs> well, here's, here's the irony. I have a very hard time parking in a parking lot in a spot, but put me on a city street, a city block, I could be anybody. Carol said <laughs> when she took her driver's exam to get her license as a kid, she said to the officer, uh, how many points is parallel parking? Just take them off because I can't. <laughs> Which, which he did not think it's was funny, funny because I didn't do great when I took my test either. But I'm good now. I, I mean, I I got good the first couple of years I had my license, but I'm still good. Well, I'll it, challenge anybody. Well, you also talk about um, you know loving boats and and sailing with uh, you know your family and and your husband. And I'm just wondering on the title of your book, "The Cruising Through Caregiving," is that a nod to your hobby of um, boating? Right. So, yeah. So, cruising through caregiving, I, the whole book, uh, all the chapters, it's nautical analogies. So, I call the primary caregiver the captain. And I say when, when, you're, when you're making a mistake that you wanted to correct in, in caregiving, I call it going overboard. But always remember that you can course correct. So, I just use a lot of nautical analogies throughout the book. And I, I just thought it would be a way, you know, people have critiqued and said, oh, that's, you know, the cruising through caregiving, um, it's, you know, the caregiving is not a cruise. And I say, yes, it's not. Caregiving is no vacation. But if you want to cruise more smoothly through it, this book can help you. Now, one of the things we haven't touched on in the last couple of minutes we have is the role of humor in caregiving. It's, it's very helpful to have a good sense of humor. A lot of times we find ourselves with dark humor, that we're laughing at awful things that are happening that we have to find the humor in. And, you know, I remember my when my grandmother-in-law, uh, my husband's grandma was, was dying, and, you know, she was coming to the end of life, and she was really struggling, not struggling, she was, it was around Thanksgiving, and she started putting together a list She was really, and people have different thoughts on this. Is it medicine? Is it that the person is hallucinating? Is it that the person is talking to people from the afterlife? You know, different people have different philosophies on this. And she had a whole list sitting in bed with, you know, she was, oh, here's who she wants to invite to Thanksgiving. And every last person that she mentioned was dead. And so I remember my mother-in-law making a joke and she says, well, I don't know all these dead people might be coming to Thanksgiving. I don't know. And... You know, and it's not, of course, it's not funny that she's dying. Of course, it's not funny that she's sick. But it was, you know, they family was making jokes about it because it's, you know, it's how we get through life. It's like death and, and it's part of life. 
Well, remind folks as we come to the end of our interview how they get a hold of you and, and your website. Yeah, cruisingthroughcaregiving.com to, to register for, you can get a free chapter of the book. Uh, also, you can uh, get a, uh, sorry, the um, register for the virtual book club that's sponsored for dementia caregivers free, Hilarity for Charity and Oasis Senior Advisors. And you can check me out on Instagram, Jennifer L. Fitzpatrick or um, Fitzpatrick Jen on Twitter. Hey, thanks. We appreciate you taking the time Thank you. to talk with us. And uh, her company, Generations Health Education, Generations with a J. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you. You take care. Bye-bye. That was fun talking to her. That's right. I, you know, I, I love when people have um, a lot of experience and you can feel, you know, her nautical terms, the depth cool. of her experience. Up next, Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman. This is Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer. Ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. We appreciate you sticking with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. We switch to Take 10 at the end of each and every one of our programs. Dr. Jamie Heisman joins us on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline, a nationally known psychotherapist, expert on not only caregiving, but addictions as well. Carol Zerniel is here, and I'm Ron Aaron. And we were talking off the air about a topic... Well, you know, I we were we were actually thinking about you, Ron, and thinking about your current state of mind and state of affairs. So what is it like, you know, caregiving, we, we use the word caregiving, but there's also parenting is another form of caregiving. Um, what is it like for you as someone who is older, who now has... Just turned 77. Just turned 77. Or he, 25 he, Celsius. He was, I was say, you're giving me your age in Celsius, which <laughs> I had no idea what that meant. Um, so it's your age 77, and you have three young children. How I old? I have five-year-old twin boys and a seven-year-old girl. And do you find that challenging? Do you think your age has anything to do with it being challenging, if it is? I actually think the opposite, having raised other kids who are now adults and on their own. Uh, I'm a better dad than I was then. I've learned to listen. I'm more patient. I may not be able to run as fast. I may not be able to throw a ball as far. Uh, I may not be able to climb a jungle gym. But I am a lot more patient. And uh, Dr. Jamie, you're in a similar situation with a younger daughter. You're not quite my not, age. Not quite 77 yet, Jamie. No, but but you've had a lot of practice now raising 
a young girl. It was my alarm going off telling me to pick Reagan up at the bus, by the way. But oh, yes. Gina will take care of that. So, yeah, I think uh, I, I've learned to be patient uh, and uh, to deal with the frustrations that are tough. Now, you raised... Or are children as well, and you're raising one now. Well, you know, Jamie, what I would what I would ask you is: Are, are we are we different as we get older? For you know, going back and doing tasks like you know, parenting or caregiving, does that change? At, you know, as we mature. Well, you know, I totally identify with what Ron is saying about having a child later in life and being maybe more patient and being more wiser, if you will, and being uh, able to actually do, have a do-over for when you probably, you know, for in my case, this is my only child and the first time I ever had a child, and I had her at 56 years old, which is late. So in my case, it's not really a do-over. It's the first time. In Ron's case, however, which I love getting Ron's coaching because Ron has done this before, I have never, um, you know, he, he does see this in a very positive, positive light, as I do as well. However, for me, I don't have uh, a game plan. I don't have a, a blueprint. Caregiving, in fact, and parenting, the two most kind of core issues in our entire society, neither of them really has educational sort of curriculum. And, and you're literally doing this by the seat of your pants. So if, for me, it's wonderful. Yeah, but yeah, there's still stress. There's worry. There's, you know, feelings that get flooded with guilt and I'm not in town enough. And, and so your, your mind's your mind changes. In fact, everything changes. I always say I put in new eyeballs in, which really kind of made me a whole different person when Ariana was born. Oh, see, I well, think it's the ears. I think it's the mommy ears. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe dads don't get yeah, those. That's bad ears. Mom, mommy ears. Mommies can hear everything. That's right. Now, Gina and I did take a course, Gina, my wife, uh, called Precious Minds, which unfortunately is no longer offered in this area, which does take you through all the developmental and uh, physical and mental changes that are occurring in your child uh, teaches you what's normal, what's not to expect, and how to respond. And that was a very, very useful course. Wow. I so wish we had had that here in Florida, Ron. That would have been a wonderful addition. We, had, we were caught off guard. Our daughter was um, born you know, early and was put into a, a, a neonatal ICU, and we had to learn by the seat of our pants. Wow. And so... Uh, we knew that there were things that she needed, uh, but we didn't know that there were things that, that we needed. And I think that's the, the real takeaway from, from this as a, as a segment in, in the, our show here is that, yes, no matter what age you are, uh, you got to be prepared. I mean, you have to take care of yourself. Uh, so if you're probably, you know, raising a child at, at any particular age and trying to keep up with them as I am mine, as you are yours, I mean, you better be taking care of your own mind and your own body and your own soul. Otherwise, um, there ain't going to be nothing there for them. Well, what I like is that, I mean, you'd already raised, you know, a, a couple of sons. Right, and, three. Yeah, so so three three sons. And then you've got, you know, this next ba- the, the next batch. <laughs> and, but right. You've, but you went back for more education. I did. So, you know, you weren't content with everything that you had learned. What drove you to get more education? Uh, Two things. One is uh, Gina never had children. She used to joke she was a TV news reporter, and her children were her shoes. She had a lot of shoes, let me tell you. But never had kids. In fact, uh, when we picked Reagan up, middle of the night, Child Protective Services called, said, you know, you need to come pick up your granddaughter. That's who she is. Uh, and uh, uh, we went and got her, 
Uh, it was the first time ever that Gina had changed a diaper, uh, and we did it together. I was much more – this is another thing, Jamie, you're doing it the first time. I was uh, in, in the, the uh, stereotype of the dad who comes home, sits in a chair, the children are presented to you, and, and you don't change diapers, you don't feed them, you don't bathe them. That's changed. I, I get a kick out of now, and I changed a lot of diapers with, with our current crop of three children. Uh, and, and also, uh, you don't get a kick out of tossing them in the bathtub and uh, feeding them all of the things that a lot of men didn't do uh, generations ago. It wasn't a man's job. So that's been different for me. And Gina, not having had that experience, uh, we found a course that gave you all of that information, taught us how to deal, for example, with temper tantrums. That's a heck of a challenge uh, in the grocery store where they always happen. Well, so that brings a question for you, Jamie. So what is it like to be the, you know, the Ph.D. psychologist parent? Do you have, you know, the answers that none of the rest of us have? Do you have the secret sauce? But let me confess to our listening audience. Uh. I have to tell you, I'm ready to refund all the money I ever talked about with my clients over the past 35 years to them, knowing I probably did them a great disservice. Because as soon as my child was born, I realized that it was a whole different world. And I was teaching theory and, and whatnot, uh, and yet I found out how much more challenging it was. But what I did find that there was equilibrium, Carol and Rhonda, too, I'm sure, is that at the end of the day, no matter what you tell somebody as a client or as a peer, I mean, they've got to focus on creating a stable environment that uh, a child will not grow anywhere unless they feel safe. And you see kids that have real access to a personality issues that grew up into adults with terrible challenges because they never felt safe. They didn't have a routine. Uh, communication patterns were, were not good in the house. And, uh, and, and parents were co-opting them basically for their own attention in their own future. So no matter what, again, I think that reality hit me in the face. And so, no, I don't have the Holy Grail. I certainly don't have the silver bullet. In fact, I have a lot of humility today. But I do know you have to create safety around your child and encourage real safe communication for sure. Well, I'm, I'm sure that there are moments, Jamie, that you're able to pull out some tools out of your tool belt. Yes, you got a tool belt there. Yeah, but nobody's listening. I heard <laughs> you. Know, nobody's listening. Well, uh, it, it doesn't mean you don't have the tools. It just means the nails are moving Jamie. around. <laughs> what, what for me exactly. has been uh, neat validation is just the other day, uh, our twins are Kennedy and Carter, and Kennedy was saying that they asked him in school what he wanted to be when he grew up. He's in kindergarten. And he said, I want to be a detective, a scientist, and a daddy. Aww. I thought that was pretty wow. cool. Uh, yeah. That's wonderful. That was that's wonderful. I, There's an antidote I'll tell you, too, Ron. I'm sure you, maybe you've heard it, and I certainly hear it a lot. I remember when my daughter came to me for the first time and realized I was older than the other fathers, and she said, Daddy, you, your hair, is, are you going to get it colored or dyed? And I said, so cute, sweetheart. I'm so yeah. glad you're interested. But listen, on Grandparents' Day, when your grandfather, and my father is alive and well, but he lives far away, when your grandfather doesn't come, who's going to come here on Grandparents' Day and on Daddy's Day if I have to dye my hair? That's cool. That's right. Yeah, gray-haired dad. Yeah. He said, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, she said, Dad, I guess you're right. So I haven't dyed my hair yet. So I get the last word. What I have observed in both of you late dads um, is that there is real joy 
Uh, I see the joy in both of you when you talk about your kids and you share the photos. And so for me, you know, I get joy out of watching both of you on this journey that maybe you you didn't expect. Thank you. Take 10. That means a lot to me, too. Thank you. (laughs) Take 10 on Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. Ron Aaron, Carol Zernial, and Dr. Jamie Heisman. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on air. Presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer.